Welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. This is part five of the Horizon series. Uh, these are the articles that I wrote at the beginning of 2023 in a fit of uh, mania that from which the idea of the Dharma artist uh, came through, which is essentially um, the focus of my vocation, you know, is to help people realize that they have a Dharma and that they are artists, and that in 2024, going forward, I think this is one of the most important archetypes uh, to feed and to help people claim. And it's essentially that you can transform your dharma into your vocation and give your art to the world and help build the future. And these episodes are to help you, the listener, recognize that that is you too. And if you're listening to this before February 20th, uh, if you want to hear my post-darkness recap and a deep dive into my uh, mental fitness curriculum that I'll be teaching and starting on March 10th, you can go to my website, ericgotzi.com, and click on the header at the top of the page that's called February 20th Masterclass. Again, if you want to hear what the darkness was like, and if you want to get a deep dive on the curriculum that I'll be teaching about how to become a Dharma artist, and it's before February 20th, go to my website, erigatsi.com, and click on the link at the top of the page that says February 20th Masterclass. So part five is called uh, Ariadne's Thread, Reviewing the Horizon Series. Did you know that there is a specific difference between a maze and a labyrinth? A maze does not have an intent, and so we get lost in mazes. But a labyrinth, however, is designed to bring you into its center. In some sense, you could say that the fundamental question that our age wrestles with is whether life is a maze or a labyrinth. Without getting spun around the axis, let me share with you one of my favorite myths, and this is the story of Ariadne's thread. More popularly known as Theseus and the Minotaur, this is a story of a greedy father who gets cursed by the gods. His curse is that his wife gives birth to a monster, the Minotaur, and due to his great shame, the father king hires the greatest engineer alive Deodalus, who apparently wasn't a great father because his son is actually Icarus, and that's a different Greek myth. But Deodalus uh, creates the great labyrinth that will contain the cursed child bull. Fast forward a couple of decades, and every year this king demands slaves be sent to him from the city-states that he rules. These slaves are to be strong young men, and they are to challenge and enter into the labyrinth. And if they can find their way out, then they will be a great hero. No man who has entered the labyrinth that the Minotaur is contained within has returned, because they're actually his food, and it's all a great game. But in the year of this story, a young hero arrives whose name is Theseus. He meets the king and his daughter, Ariadne. 
That night, Ariadne receives a dream that she must give Theseus a ball of red yarn for his adventure into the labyrinth. And thus, our heroine places in the hands of Theseus one of the great enduring symbols from Greek culture, Ariadne's thread. This is the mythic symbol that there is always a path back, that no matter how lost you get in the wasteland, or in an ideology, or a abusive relationship, or a rough psychedelic trip, there is always a red thread beckoning you home. I love this story, and this article is an invitation to follow the threads that we have laid out in the previous podcast episodes of this series. Because in some way, I don't fully understand, and this feels like the most important idea that I've expressed so far. I've realized that the intent of my company, Cathedra, is to produce Dharma artists. So let's review. Number one, expanding our temporal horizons. We started this journey by looking at our horizons, literally and symbolically. We are sick, our culture needs help, and we can help. But to help will require us to expand our temporal horizons. And no amount of force can grow temporal horizons, only inspiration can. Inspiration can come from two polarities, artists or crises. If you're reading this and you're resonating, I hope that you choose to live your dharma as an artist and to help us envision new horizons. Because if the artists can't do it, crisis will. Number two, myths are the instrument to expand our temporal horizons. The instrument for enlivening our cultural horizons is myth. One of the great lovers of myth, Joseph Campbell, has left us a map that we can play with as we hone our ability to myth-make songs, the four melodies of a myth that it needs to envelop and nourish the human soul are, one, the psychological function, two, the metaphysical function, three, the cosmological function, and four, the sociological function. Using myth begins with the first melody, the psychological function, and the chorus of this song is, quote, I choose to create my meaning. Viktor Frankl, the founding prophet and psychotherapist of humanistic psychology, wrote one of the most famous sentences produced by humans regarding this first melody. From the ashen pits of Auschwitz, where he laid as prisoner, and having just recently lost his wife and children to the mauling fury of Nazi racism, he wrote, quote, We who lived in concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. They may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances is to choose one's own way. And there were always choices to make. Every day, every hour, offer the opportunity to make a decision, a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self your inner freedom, which determined whether or not you would become the plaything of circumstance, 
renouncing freedom and dignity to become molded into the form of the typical inmate. I weep whenever I revisit Frankel's man's search for meaning. I stand before something holy, blinding, and at the same time uncomfortable, and I weep. This man was sent to hell. He watched his wife and his children be taken. He watched his countrymen murdered and starved and beaten and tortured and humiliated. And all the while, he held his Ariadnek thread. He knew that he would write a book for the world on everything that he experienced inside of this prison. He imagined himself teaching this book to college classrooms. He envisioned teaching the world his lessons from hell. I weep because he had every reason to choose hate and blame and bitterness, and somehow, beyond comprehension, he chose meaning, to endure, to ultimately be of service, and he literally credits the desire and the visions to write and teach this book to the public and to the future as the reason he was able to make it through Auschwitz. The last of our freedoms is our ability to choose our attitude. This is the glory and the grace of living inside of a myth. This kind of meaning and grit awaits anyone who chooses the Dharma artist path. And this is the melody of the first song that myth can provide. Number three, if you don't think myths matter, just look at the wasteland. I'm looking forward to being a dad someday. I'm excited for both the sleep torture that will bond me to them forever and the moments of awe at witnessing the dawning of new consciousness. However, there will be a point where my little Eden will realize one day that they will die. We have all had that moment, and I'm sure if our parents could have known how it would rock our little psyches, it would have broken their hearts. Describing the wasteland of our modern mythic landscape feels like this. It's a story that, when fully told, is to describe a kind of self-inflicted genocide that I don't think we will fully appreciate until a hundred or two hundred years later. We are living in the wake of a culture without a functional collective myth, and the result of it is hundreds of millions of people are psychologically injured and wounded and tens of millions are dying per year. In 100 years, we're going to look back at our time as something like the bubonic plague of the soul. But rather than a biological pathogen, it is a psychic infection, the Great Grey Plague. The human psyche cannot function without myths. Our current myths are hollow. New myths cannot be mandated. They cannot be forced. They can only take root through inspiration, through art. The task of our time is to help build a new collective myth. Number four, where do we start? The thrice-born journey. Don't fall into the first major trap on this path, which is to skip your current development and jump to critiquing others or culture. The path to collaborating in a modern renaissance begins with ourselves. Before you can begin to contribute to building a new collective myth, you've got to tend to your personal myth. The map of this journey is not the hero's journey, but the thrice-born journey. The process of moving through the stages of the thrice-born will unlock a key ability that is needed to be a Dharma artist, and it is mythic play. 
Mythic play is the ability to inhabit other myths than your own and to truly live in them without getting trapped in them, and then to step out of them, compare them with yours, and maybe even create art that can begin to synthesize them. The stages of the thrice-born journey are Step 1. Your first world, your first myth. Step 2. Your first death. Step 3. Your first visit to the wasteland. Step 4. Your second myth, your second world. Step 5. The second death. Step 6. The return to the wasteland. And Step 7. Maybe is to become thrice-born. One of the things that I want to offer here is we can go through many of these cycles and not realize the joke, which is the thrice-born consciousness. So many people can go through four or five different worldview deaths and still not catch that the gift is that the wasteland is home base and that no story that you create will ever be able to keep out the infinite from breaking your story. Our first myth is Mr. Anderson in The Matrix. For people who don't remember, that's the name that Neo had before he remembered that he is Neo. His first death is when Mr. Anderson falls into the mirror. Our first encounter with the wasteland is Neo's journey from the moment he wakes up to the moment he is shot in the chest by Agent Smith. Our second myth is Neo being reborn into his identity as the One. Our second death is like Neo in the Matrix Resurrection, where he discovers that he almost died, but the machines kept him alive to cage him. And our return to the wasteland is when Neo is lost in the Matrix, believing that it is real. And finally, after 20 plus years of movies, the most famous hero's journey story arrives at thrice-born consciousness when Neo wakes up for the second time, thus becoming the thrice-born. To live without having died to your first perspective is like having one eye. To have died and been reborn is like getting a second eye. But to be thrice-born is to discover the nature of optics that you can invent glasses and telescopes and microscopes and pixels. The thrice-born journey unlocks the capacity for mythic play, and mythic play is the ability to hold any frame of reality, any perspective, and to play with it lightly, at will, with freedom and creativity. And this is a required skill to become a Dharma artist. Five, but be aware of the trap of mythic play, which is what we would call postmodernism. There is a major trap that many thrice born in our time have gotten stuck in. Quote, everything is subjective, it's all made up, and so everything is equally fake or equally true, you know, to each their own. At first glance, this seems wise, it seems true, but it's partially true. All models are lies. Like maps, they are never what they represent. But what is not true is the idea that because all models are subjective, that all models are equally true or equally valid or equally useful. This belief, at best, is a stance that makes us cautious, but at worst, it makes us cowards and it makes us easily manipulated. The great trap of the thrice-born is to deny all hierarchies. This trap has been called postmodernism, moral relativism, pluralism, and model agnosticism. Mythic play is worth the risk, 
Mythic play allows us to begin playing the game of life as Dharma artists, and that's what the fuck our world needs. But the alchemy to the postmodern trap is to claim your Dharma. The alchemy of the trap is to use mythic play, but to give a fuck about what it produces. The gift of mythic play is that you are truly free to pick what it is that you care about. Number six, mythic play allows us to create living mythologies. The alchemy of postmodernism is pragmatism. Pragmatism is a metaphysical orientation that says, quote, I don't know, and you don't know, but through experiments and play, we can begin to create a model, and models based on experiments and play are more true than those that are not. To people reading this who haven't had a thrice-born experience, this might seem painfully obvious and repetitive, and it's because they're not yet aware of how all knowledge is ultimately partial, incomplete, and subjective. But for thrice-born people, Many may not along to the definition of pragmatism, but it would absolutely not advocate publicly for any specific perspective because it's not quote-unquote spiritual. But a great, but not perfect, because there is no perfect example of pragmatism, is the United States legal system. We have a set of rules that have been proposed, and each state works out to the best of its ability how those laws are interpreted and enforced. And whenever a case isn't solvable, there is a Supreme Court that can change the rules of the game. When it comes to human creations, the modern legal system is one of the most pragmatic models that we have been able to create. And again, yes, the system has corruption and fails at times, but the core message of these articles is to call forward those who call out. If you are critiquing, but not actively building and experimenting and sharing, I hope that this inspires you to alchemize those critiques into constructive tweaks. We need builders, not complainers. Once a thrice-born genuinely embraces pragmatism, the cocoon begins to move from the imaginal cellular mush towards a specific structure that fulfills a specific function. Once we accept that there is a living ought within us, a dharma, a living ethic, a living moral code, we trigger a transformation where we start becoming an actual thing. We gotta get over our fears and grievances with hierarchy and begin creating our own. This is nothing less than taking responsibility for creating your own mythology. Mythic play coupled with mythic pragmatism allows for mythic collaboration. And I wanna step outside of the reading and just try to give a more clear example of this. If you have 20 people who all truly believe that all perspectives are equal and there's a problem, like let's say that there's a wolf in the dark woods that starts to eat or kill people once every couple of days in the night. In order to solve a complex problem, you have to have some type of shared value system that allows you to make a choice between one thing and the other. A classic example of a large organization that has the 4.0 consciousness where they're able to see the multiple perspectives, but then the tragedy of not having a clear leader or a clear guiding system to allow them to make complex decisions 
is what happened during the Occupy Wall Street protests here in the United States, I believe around 2009. If that movement had had a coherent philosophy that could have appointed a leader that represented some type of moral framework, it may have changed history. But what seems to be what has happened is that they weren't able to choose or decide on any effective action because they were lost in the mesh of every opinion being equally true. If we're going to create a new living mythology that can help guide humanity through the next 100 years, we're gonna to have to learn how to work together, almost like a group of engineers. Everything is not equally true. Not all opinions are equally valid. Mythic collaboration is the prerequisite for humanity as a species to navigate the 21st century. And this is how you seed a renaissance. Number seven. Meet a map for creating living mythologies, the stages matrix. If you're still with me now that I've said some hierarchies are better than others, I'd like to introduce you to the mostly unknown history of quote unquote actualization hierarchies. These are the quote good hierarchies that most people haven't heard of and that people who critique hierarchies don't notice that these type exist. The negative side of hierarchy is what has been called power hierarchies, and these kinds of hierarchies are responsible for most of the terrible acts that humans have done to other humans. However, there is another set of hierarchies that have been working out in the background and have been studied by scientists and researchers in the field of developmental psychology. People like Sigmund Freud, Janet Piaget, Eric Erickson, Robert Keegan, Lawrence Kohlberg, Jane Lovinger, Terry O'Fallon, Ken Wilber, and most famously, Abraham Maslow, have been working on mapping actualization hierarchies. Their conclusion, there is a common pattern woven through all of these myth-makers maps, and it is the structure of evolution. It is how human consciousness evolves. And one of the most scientifically robust versions of this map is Terry O'Fallon's Stages Matrix, which we talked about in the previous episode. This map tracks the developmental changes that humans move through as they age. This map is important because it clearly defines the stages of development one must reach in order to acquire the capacity for mythic play which is the prerequisite skill to begin helping to heal the wounds of our culture. If you haven't yet listened to that episode, go check it out. And if you want a deeper dive, go check out the article on my website uh, that is Honing the Blade of Mythic Play. Most people who are listening to this, they're going to at least be at a level 3.5. And this is called The Achiever. The achiever, what Keegan calls self-authoring, has developed the ability to internally represent a, quote, ideal version of themselves. They begin to be able to navigate, quote, the future to guide their actions. They are able to navigate the past in order to learn or heal certain blocks that keep them from becoming more of who they want to be. They develop the ability to genuinely move beyond their race and nationalism and to see a connection with other groups of people. They want to help improve the world. They develop the ability to honor and move in accord with their inner compass. 
This is the level most people are at who enjoy self-improvement books, podcasts, courses, and transformational experiences. The shadow of this stage is guilt. Because they now have a deep sense of who they could be and how they want to help the world, when they feel that they are falling short of that ideal, it can cause shame or guilt. Thrice-born people are 3.5 achievers who have reached the 4.0 pluralist stage. This stage is the birth of the fourth-person perspective and is the beginning of what is called systems thinking. With systems thinking, causality moves from Newtonian physics to ecologies. This stage of development begins to widen the individual's compassion and allows them to not fall into the trap of the fundamental misattribution error. Whereas stage 3.5 individuals tend to enjoy and consume self-improvement material, people at the 4.0 stage start to get into things like Buddhism and therapies like somatic experiencing and compassionate inquiry. 3.5, you could think like they love Gary Vee, Alex Hormozzi, etc., and people at 4.0 are really into Ram Dass or Alan Watts. But the major confusion of people at stage 4 is that they're apathetic, is that they're not able to access the passion to live their specific dharma. Another way to say this is they choose model agnosticism instead of model pragmatism. This is an important confusion to take time highlighting. The birth of the 4.0 perspective is significantly liberating when glimpsed for the first time because it frees you from whatever reality tunnel you may have been stuck in. But the conclusion here, without the individual recognizing it, is that this freedom paralyzes them. They are not able to harness the passion of someone at a 3.5 perspective. That is, a lot of people at 3.5 can start and run successful companies. A lot of people at 4.0 can't seem to get their shit together because they don't know what to choose, what is more important, they're afraid of hurting the environment. The gift of their 4.0 perspective is they can see all the potential externalities and fallout of them trying to change or do anything, but it keeps them from doing anything. This stage is the birth, but not the integration of mythic play. The alchemy of the confusion of this stage is to move into the 4.5 stage, which is called the strategist. The goals of these articles is to help people at 3.5 and 4.0 move to the 4.5 stage, the strategist. Quote, this stage of development Keegan called the honors track of the current cultural curriculum. This stage has included and transcended the dizzying pluralistic world back into its authentic self. So it's taken its capacity to see from any perspective, but it's integrated it back into its authentic dharma and thus recaptured their desire to individuate, not as an isolated individual, because the people at 3.5, they have the passion to individuate, but they're not connecting what they're doing to the whole of the world. So this would be an example of someone who's like, I'm going to start four laundromats so that I can make enough money to buy the Ferrari. That's a 3.5. A 4.5 is someone who steps back into their passion of creating a business, but they look to how that business can serve the greater. So this would be an example of like Tom's, like what he was trying to do with his shoes. 
People at this level have integrated their, quote, inner family system. They know that they still experience and will experience painful and triggering emotions, but they are capable of navigating them healthily in pro-social ways. People at 4.5 are also someone who has a powerful desire to help others in a systematic way. They begin to feel called to become psychologists and coaches and consultants, and they reach executive leadership positions in healthy organizations. So people at 4.0, they might see how crazy the world is and their call would be to, you know, retreat from the world and just live a simple life. People at 4.5, they basically recognize we live in a time and I have the privilege and the capacity that I don't get to just live my life peacefully out away from the system and just hope that it takes care of itself. It's the difference of someone who's like, you know, everybody's drowning. I'm just going to go sit over here. And a 4.5 is like, I'm jumping in the water. But no stage is perfect, and even 4.5 has its own confusions. One of the main confusions of 4.5 is that they project their subtle psychological processes that, that they haven't integrated onto complex systems. But this is the stage that mythic play becomes mature. At this stage, the self-authoring individual is included and transcended into the infinite spiraling web of interconnection that the 4.0 stage introduces. And instead of drowning, they begin to learn how to shape the water, how to ride the waves, how to fish and create boats. And when possible, they know how to just float, how to just go with it. And the 4.5 is the stage that begins to birth the Dharma artist. There are stages beyond this, and those who have done deeper dives into meditation, they might be able to understand the higher stages, but I'm keeping it at 4.5. Number eight, the task of our time is to become Dharma artists. A Dharma artist is at least a thrice-born, and the only reason that that matters is because they have fundamentally humbled their ego enough where they can actually begin to learn and to listen and to help. And the heartbeat of the Dharma artist is to listen. First, we listen to the soft whisper inside of us. We make that whisper our queen. We place her on the throne. We, the ego, the identity, we are the hand that the whisper commands. But we also learn how to listen to our environment, to other conscious creatures and to our collective culture. And in order to listen to others and to our culture, we have to be able to access mythic play. Mythic play allows us to step inside of the world of others, and in doing so, we can begin to heal people and our culture. The essence of the root of our cultural wound is that we have ruptured away from each other. The different worldviews are rupturing and tearing apart from each other. Humanity is a single body, and we have gashes and cuts and fractures and breaks throughout us. Every day, in every thought, action, and expression of speech, we are either contributing to the rupturing and the decay of the cultural body, or we are helping contributing to the suturing. We are in the transition between collective stories. We are a people starving for good myths. A renaissance wants to be born. And no ruler or government can make it happen. Only artists can. Artists have always been and will always be the true revolutionaries. 
But true mythic play transcends revolutions. Mythic play includes and transcends. Dharma artists are not revolutionaries. They are evolutionaries. I hope that you decide to become one, because our world needs your dharma. I hope you enjoyed episode 5 of the Horizon series. Uh, if you want to join a group of people who are learning how to become Dharma artists and are doing it together in an epic container that's going to culminate in all of us meeting together in Montana uh, for Fit for Service, check out my mental fitness curriculum uh, at fitforservice.com. Don't get confused by the name. I'm actually calling and teaching people how to become Dharma artists. And the way that I describe it to myself is I am teaching the tools, the models, and the systems to help Dharma artists fuck the future alive. I'm trying to bring together revolutionaries, evolutionaries, and I'm trying to basically call together the people that I want to work with in the future. Basically, I'm trying to start a guild for Dharma artists. And uh, if you want to be a part of the first generation of that, if you have listened to my stuff throughout the years and you have resonated, this is the call. This is the time where I'm asking you, join. Step outside from behind the screen and be a part of something that's going to be magical. You know, I really think it's going to be a thing that in 10 years we're going to talk about, like, you remember where it started? If you are an artist and you want to connect with other people who have this type of fire, jump, take the leap, come join us. Big love. And if you're listening to this before February 20th, uh, if you want to hear my post-darkness recap and a deep dive into my uh, mental fitness curriculum that I'll be teaching and starting on March 10th, you can go to my website, ericgotzi.com, and click on the header at the top of the page that's called February 20th Masterclass. Again, if you want to hear what the darkness was like, and if you want to get a deep dive on the curriculum that I'll be teaching about how to become a Dharma artist, and it's before February 20th, go to my website, ericgotzi.com, and click on the link at the top of the page that says February 20th Masterclass. I love you guys. See you on the other side.